Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. You know, I do really enjoy when those beers are a representation of of the area you're in um, and where it was produced and who produced it. Um, There is something really special when that happens. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. And my name's Sam. The first time Sam, Bryn, and I visited Door County, Wisconsin was in January 2019. At Half Acres Far and Away Festival the previous autumn, I was introduced to Hacienda Beer Company, only to discover I'd in fact known most of them from their time studying at the Siebel Institute and mind serving them on their many visits to local option. Their beer stood out among many greats at that event. Clean, patiently aged mixed fermentation beers and balanced hazy IPAs, all possessing an underlying dry profile that invited many, many sips. Fast forward to the road trip. The Three Cocks, the designation to which Sam, Bryn, and I defer when traveling as a group on account of multiple matching rooster tattoos, were en route to taste through barrels of mixed fermentation beer and discuss another outrageous project with Matt Sampson and his team at Hacienda Beer Company. Enduring a massive winter snowstorm the entire way up from Chicago, we encountered sub-zero temperatures and trollish highway drivers all the while crawling up 43 at 25 miles per hour. After almost six hours, we finally made it up to Bailey's Harbor, indulged in all the whiskey we brought, and bundled up for our midnight odyssey. We climbed trees, tumbled down snow-covered roads, made snow pentagrams, and most likely woke up the entire town. At that moment, we didn't care. We were creating our Door County memory. All right, on with the interview. Matt Sampson is the Director of Brewing Operations, Branding, and Marketing at Hacienda Beer Company and Door County Brewing in Bailey's Harbor, Wisconsin. While Matt holds a PhD in chemistry, it was his interest in photography and storytelling that brought him into the craft beer industry professionally. We discussed the construction of Hacienda's award-winning mixed fermentation offerings, the importance of locally sourced and produced ingredients, native bacteria, and why package conditioning and patience are crucial in building signature aroma and flavor profiles. Matt discusses the challenges in keeping the Hacienda and Door County Brewing Company brands separate in their Bailey's Harbor taproom and in a market where customers of traditional American craft beer and contemporary styles of beer are becoming the same person. Let's dive and get heavy. Matt, welcome to Heavy Hops. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, um, you're uh, you're originally from uh, suburban Chicago. How did you find home brewing, um, and how did you kind of get into it uh, commercially as well? Yeah, so uh, kind of take it back to kind of where I got into craft beer. Uh, I was in San Diego after undergrad um doing grad school i was in a chemistry program phd program um started homebrewing out there there was a couple people in my lab that um 
homebrewed as well. Spent a couple days with them and then kind of got hooked on it. Um, got my own all grain setup, five gallon uh, brew system. Um, I never like went crazy into home brewing. It wasn't something that like I was obsessed with. I did every weekend or anything like that. My level of my homebrew was never like to, to my liking. Um, it's kind of, kind of annoying more, more than anything. And in, in San Diego, I was surrounded by like tons of really classic West coast breweries that we would visit, um, every weekend. And so it was kind of like, I was very interested in the process of brewing and, uh, just a culture of craft beer, I guess, like the, the clash between the artistic side and, um, yeah, the, the science side of, of craft beer in general was, was what really interests me in, in, in beer, but the home brewing never really stuck, uh, even to this, yeah, even to this day. Um, but yeah, after, after San Diego, I moved back to Illinois. Um, I worked for a year at Argonne National Lab in the suburbs. Uh, I lived in Oak Park for a year. Still homebrewed a little bit. Um, I eventually was like kind of burned out on lab science and lab research um, just from five years of grad school and then a year at Argonne. Um, was kind of looking for to kind of crack into the beer industry. Um, that was almost impossible just because I didn't have any experience. But um, yeah, I, I like hooked up with the guys at Good Beer Hunting for a brief minute. Um, just to do some photography work. I was really into photography at the time um, in San Diego and then still, you know, still am today. Uh, so, do, so I did some photography work for them. They, they wanted me to write a few stories on breweries. So I agreed to that. Um, yeah, I ended up writing a story for second, about second shift in St. Louis and then um, scratch, scratch brewing as well um, down south, Southern Illinois. Um, yeah, I, I kind of spent a day with Scratch and documented their whole process of brewing a foraged beer, which was what kind of hooked me on, on kind of mixed culture beer and uh, foraging as well. Like that, that was just super interesting. Um, but yeah, then, then I moved up to Wisconsin. Uh, my girlfriend, now fiance, uh, had a business, uh, online business at the time, back to when we were in San Diego and she was looking for like a brick and mortar store, um, a location to put a brick and mortar store. And she had been traveling to Door County throughout her life with her parents. They had a home up here. Um, so we kind of felt like that was like the best spot to put it being seasonal and, uh, having the tourists up here. So we kind of just said, fuck it. And, you know, let's, let's do it. I was burnt out at the time on, you know, my, what I was doing. So I kind of just took the leap, nothing to do with beer brought me up here at all. Um, ended up working like remotely for, um, some scientific journals for a year, you know, staring at a computer for eight, nine hours a day, which was really tiring and not great, but it's funny to say that we're during COVID now, but um, yeah, that, that's what kind of got me up to Door County. Um, really wasn't in the 
like professional beer world other than that working good beer hunting until I joined the guys at uh, Door County Brewing. Um, it sounds like your experience with Scratch and your uh, writing that story for Scratch uh, was pretty instrumental for you in finding a new avenue into beer in a way. Was that the case? And was there also, because as you mentioned, you know, there was a huge brewing scene and well-established brewing scene in San Diego when you had went down there. What were some of the like formative experiences from either time? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's definitely true about Scratch. Uh, back in San Diego, um, like I, I was out there when Modern Times um, and Society, I don't know if you're familiar with Society, that both of those opened about the same time, like right in the middle of my grad school program. Um, so those were really um, kind of my go-tos at the time being new, like new breweries in the area, they were doing some more newer styles, newer stuff, uh, but kind of complete opposites. Like Modern Times was very focused on branding, um, experimentation, kind of all over the board, which was super cool and interesting. Um, society was like making super clean, uh, more classic styles, but had a real uh, big emphasis on freshness um, they didn't can anything for like, I think just to like a year or two ago, um, they like hand delivered every, every keg and made sure it was stored cold, like religiously. And it was super, very super, over the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, the beer was it's still phenomenal. Uh, and then like lost Abbey got me into some mixed culture beer down there. Um, kind of North San Diego County. Um, yeah, no, there's like Alesmith, like classic West Coast brewery, San Diego brewery was, uh, one of the hangouts back before they, uh, before they moved into their bigger facility where they were in a small little, um, industrial complex little place, uh, that McKellar San Diego's now in. Um, yeah, those were the, those were the main people in San breweries in San Diego that really caught my eye and. Um, I was kind of obsessed with those on the weekends. Um, yeah, moving back to Illinois. Uh, yeah, Scratch, that even before Scratch, I would say like Off Color and Half Acre. Um, those are the two I kept gravitating towards right when I moved back. Uh, they always had like Apex Predator in my fridge. I love that till this day that beer. Um, and then all the half acre classic beers, Pony Pills and Daisy Cutter, I just really, really loved. Um, yeah, yeah, Scratch, that that really got me thinking about um, beer and locality, uh, making beer with forged ingredients and um, really representing a place, uh, time and a place um, with beer. Before that, I didn't, didn't really think about something like that. How did Hacienda come about as an offshoot of Door County? Was it sort of meant to be a new creative outlet? Was it about satisfying an itch? Uh, help us connect the dots there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll take it a step back for a sec. Uh, yeah, Danny, uh, one of the co-founders of Door County Brewing, he actually reached out to me 
uh, randomly to source some photographs for labels. Um, that's how I got connected with him originally up in Door County. I was doing some drone photography and um, he thought it'd be cool to put some seasonal drone uh, photographs on their uh, labels for their seasonal saisons. They have, we have this uh, spring, summer, fall, winter series of um, more seasonal focused saisons. Um, and at that time they were about uh, six months out from launching Hacienda. Um, so they kind of pitched me on the Hacienda idea concept at that meeting. Um, and then I realized they, they kind of needed a new voice uh, for that brand, kind of somebody to guide guide that brand a little bit, um, kind of be a, a brand manager of sorts. And I actually like went home, thought about it. And I, I just sent them an email, like pitching this, this job description of something they didn't know they wanted. Um, and they, they said, sure, you know, started at the beginning of the year and we launched Hacienda in middle of February of that next year or when I, when I joined the company. Um, so yeah, I was kind of brought on right, right when they were starting that and they had already got the, they had the idea of that brewery, um, or the, the brand, but, um, yeah, just at the, at the start. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was to answer your, your question. It was really started to be a creative outlet for Danny, uh, and, and other people in the company, they were, they were interested in other styles than the door County kind of label was, had become known for since, since they started that, um, they were kind of making, uh, small batch draft only tap room beers, um, at the time that they really loved, they just didn't really fit within the door County portfolio. Um, that is, is distributed across the state. Um, it's a little hard for those two to meet. Um, you could have, could have, um, kind of formed a different label, uh, within door County brewing, but they thought it would just be easier to branch out, um, kind of separate the two brands to market them differently. Uh, and not just on the brewing side, but also creatively on like the labels label side. Um, they knew a lot of artists, local artists in Wisconsin, um, that they really wanted just to, you know, put artwork and showcase their artwork on cans. Um, so that was another factor that really drove them to launch this specific, uh, brewing project, Hacienda. Mm -hmm. And since then you guys have really grown quite a bit, you know, you have multiple spaces now your contract brewing all the door County stuff in state, but all the Hacienda brands are still produced in by you guys in, in the same site as your tap room. But then you also have the barrel storage facility. Um, and I believe you used to brew there, correct? Before you opened the tap room. Yeah, so Door County Brewing started in that building where the barrel facility is. Um, their tap room was above uh, that barrel facility. They, they brewed on a seven barrel system there. Um, yeah, I, was, I would never saw them brew there, but um, they described it as such a big headache because um, it looks like a barrel cellar, like very di dirty and like great for barrels, not great for clean beer. Uh, <laughs> and 
yeah, it would it would just steam the whole place um, on brew days, and they would have to squeegee the this concrete, dirty concrete floor into the floor drain every day. Um, so yeah, they opened this new facility that where our Door County uh, tap room is now, um, and we have a 15 barrel production facility right behind that, um, where we brew all the hacienda beer. We do do some small batch Door County beers there too. Uh, mostly just for the tap room. And yeah, we turned that old production space into our barrel facility. So when I when I started, we had like four oak barrels um, that had some really old beer in it. Uh, and yeah, I, I was kind of tasked to grow that project uh, into what it is today. So now we have about 75 oak barrels, uh, three small fooders, uh, and yeah, tons of bottle conditioning over there. And um, it's really a nice, nice little barrel project now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then finally, your most recent addition is the uh, Milwaukee Tap Room. What sparked that location and uh, what was the inspiration behind that uh, tap room? Yeah, um, you know, because, because of how tied to the Door County brand that our tap room is up here, I mean, we're in Door County. It's very branded for um, the area we're in um, to tie in with the Door County beers. They really wanted a, a location to kind of showcase Hacienda by itself. Um, we, we serve both beers up here, but um, they wanted something they could, they could build from scratch uh, and kind of showcase the artistic side of Hacienda um, in its own space have separate a separate location to um, showcase those beers um, and because it's not tied Hacienda isn't tied to a um, location like Door County is and of its kind of more modern feel um, it kind of felt like they still feel like uh, we still feel like it's it could kind of go you could put a tap room anywhere and it would fit as long as you have boots on the ground there and are doing some work I guess then finally in your mind how do you distinguish the two different brands as far as styles go? I mean, is it is it a challenge for you in some way, or are they two distinctly different uh, brands in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a challenge for sure. Um, kind of more so. There's a very clear cut, um, more clear cut picture of what Door County is. Um, we kind I kind of describe it as. With, you know, unique twists on classic styles, classic American craft beer styles. Uh, we do our a little subtle twist to the to a lot of those recipes, but for the most part, they're very approachable beers. Um, something that you know now a normal beer consumer would would for sure recognize right off the bat and know what they're getting in, themselves into. Um, Hacienda on their hand is kind of all over the place. Um, we, you know, we're known for hazy IPAs and adjunct stouts and some and mixed culture beer now. Uh, but, you know, we, we kind of do anything we want, uh, whatever we're interested in at the time. So it is a little hard to make sure on the Hacienda side, you know, we're not cannibalizing a brand. If we're going to serve it in this tap room up here, uh, we kind of have to make sure we're we're keeping those separate and, and it is time hard at times because we have 
we want to put our our spin on you know a similar brand to one of the door county styles but sometimes we have to pass on that we definitely look forward to uh, talking about the oscillation between these two brands and um, who they represent and what they mean uh, in a moment. But I definitely want to look at the construction of some of the Hacienda beers first, because I think that these are, because of the variety that you produce, it uh, creates a lot of interesting fodder for conversation here. And I want to start with the mixed fermentation beers because I know that's something that you're passionate about and it's something that uh, drew me towards your beers. And, you know, uh, full disclosure, we've done a couple projects together um, with your mixed fermentation beers, which was a very exciting experience. But let's begin this conversation kind of backwards and talk about the yeast first and the the fermentation and with your lab background can you talk about what uh strains you're using and how you identified them and if you actually isolated any on your own yeah yeah um so when we started the uh building out this barrel program um we had an idea of kind of the profile we wanted to to go towards uh lightly acidic um, very Brett forward, but fruit forward Brett character rather than, you know, barnyard funky Brett character. Um, so kind of had a, that picture in our head. Um, so we kind of uh, selected a number of Brett strains uh, just from yeast labs and started the project uh, by pitching those into different barrels. Um, we have a house Saison uh yeast blend that's a, a couple different saison strains that we we really like um and then we pitch some some different bacteria into barrels as well just to get some diversity and the acidity in our barrel stock um that's how it kind of started um in my first year here i also you know i was super interested in you know wild yeast and just seeing what uh what was available around us. So I, I would just isolate, um, swab different fruits and flowers and uh, vegetables even um, that were growing wild around Door County uh, to really try to, you know, get something unique um, to, to, to use in the barrel program. Uh, yeah, we got, we probably have like eight or 10 wild strains that will actually ferment beer that we've, we've, um, isolated. Uh, we have a little lab next door that um, I do a little bit of, try to do a little bit of chemistry uh, and biochemistry, but it's it's not as not as much as you would think. Uh, and then, as far as capturing these strains and creating something that is then uh, usable, are you putting these samples uh, into wort, or how are, how are you uh, achieving that? Yeah, so I usually will swab um, swab the sample and then I'll quickly put it into like a little vial of wort, um, usually a pretty low gravity wort, uh, see if it'll ferment. Um, and it's usually a mixed culture at that point. Um, so you'll, you'll have a bunch of stuff going on and sometimes it won't turn out. Um, so we do have like plates that I'll streak these mixed culture samples on. Um, 
that, yeah, then we can use usually isolate uh, specific strains out. We have used uh, sent some into bootleg biology that that will uh, isolate strains as well for free um, if you if you allow them to use it and offer it to other people. Um, so that's been a big help too on strains that are kind of difficult to isolate. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we we have a few like two or three that we really enjoy the the profile of. Um, that we've been putting into oak barrels. We have a good number of beers that have those strains in them now. Um, and that's that's the direction I really want to head down is, is using more of those strains, more of those unique uh, characteristics that are unique unique to Door County. Mm -hmm. What, um, what how would you describe that flavor profile that you're looking for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my ideal profile, like, uh, is is definitely lightly acidic uh, and fruit forward, tropical fruit forward, uh, Brett character rather than you know, I like I do like a little bit of funk, but you know, very minimal funk. Uh, and these wild strains are more; they're all actually wild Saccharomyces strains. They're not wild Brettanomyces strains. It's actually pretty rare to capture a Brettanomyces strain wild. Um, even though that's what you think of as wild yeast. Uh, so they're all sac strains. Um, and yeah, they're, they're very similar to different kind of Saison strains. Um, all, all have slightly different character. The ones that we like the best, I've, I actually cultivated off um, a sumac plant. Um, you know, the bear, red berries of sumac um, is kind of a joke up here that I'm obsessed with sumac and I, I keep trying to get us to use sumac and beers but um, yeah we have we we did a cool ship beer um, that had sumac in it and we used we actually pitched those wild strains in after it um, after it spent the night in the cool ship so I'm excited to see those those beers turn out and that's another thing we haven't talked about is is the cool ship mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as far as the the base beer that you're then putting into the cool ship is there um what what's notable about the grist of the beers that you're creating are you doing a variety of different grists like rye are you working a lot with unmalted wheat um what are you doing to create these uh the all-important dextrins that can be uh, digested over time by the yeast yeah so yeah we always use um i shouldn't say always but we 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 use proximity uh, malt, which is has a location in Milwaukee. It's really nice to be able to pick up a bag if, if we're in a, in a pinch and we're down there to make a beer delivery. Um, so we, we really like their Pilsner malt. So we basically all of our beers uh, use proximity Pilsner malt. And then we try to add some kind of raw wheat, um, white malted white wheat, uh, rye, um, usually a combo of all those in our um, mixed culture beer. Uh, we do use spelt um, quite a bit, um, flaked and, and malted and, and raw as well. Um, try to just, yeah, amp up the protein content as much as possible, especially in the cool ship beers to give, give those bugs something to chew on for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. we're, on, we're on well water here too, so um, all those beers just just use our well water. We don't we don't really touch it in any way. We just kind of want to highlight that 
that water source um, as is in those beers. Mm -hmm. And uh, what kind of hops are you looking to use and what characteristics are you looking to achieve out of those hops? Yeah, so um, we've used we've used a lot of different um, kinds of hops in, in that program for the cool ship beers. We do try to source like local. Um, we've done a couple batches with local hops from Door County, um, some other batches with hops from elsewhere in Wisconsin. Um, in the non-cool ship beers, beers that we just ferment in oak with with a cow strain or a Brett strain, we we do you know do a, a ton of other stuff. So we'll use sexy, more sexy American hops. New Zealand hops. Um, we'll, we'll pick we'll pick something that we're interested in and um, throw it in the whirlpool. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, something I'm interested in right now is the interplay of hops in wort and Britannomyces. You get some really cool flavors of uh, I don't know if it's biotransformation technically, but uh, there is something that the Brett really transforms these hop compounds um, even even um, using it on the hot side um, more so than you would expect even with like a dry hop um, and the bread bottle conditioning or something mm -hmm. and uh, you also have a cool ship in a in a separate room from the brewery which is a, a beautiful little room with stained glass that is uh, fun to sit in um, when did you build that and how, uh, what kind of window do you have within the year to use it? Yeah, so we got that uh, about year, a little bit more than a year after we started Hacienda. Um, a welder that we know in Green Bay actually built it for us. Um, yeah, um, it's in a separate little cabin um, off to the side of our tap room. So if you're ever visiting the tap room, it's clear as day. You can see the, the little cabin if you're sitting in a beer garden. Um, yeah, we try to keep uh, those brews to, to spring and fall just so we can take advantage of cool nights um, to try to get a good a good sense of um, there's there's good bacteria floating in the air, good yeast floating in the air, nothing too astringent from hot summer days. Um, yeah, we try to try to keep it, keep it to those seasons. I think we have uh, two and a, two years, two and a half years under our belt now. Um, we just bottled our first 100% spontaneous blend um, about a couple months ago. And it's it's a blend of 24 and 25 month old spontaneous beer. Um, that's tasting tasting really really good. Um, so not not a traditional uh, lambic or anything uh, goose, but um, we don't do turbid mashes just because our brew house up here doesn't allow allow for that. Um, we just try to amp up the protein content, like I said, with the grain bill, um, and then let yeah let the wild yeast do its thing. Mm -hmm. uh, have you experimented with adding ingredients into the cool ship as well, apart from the wart? Yeah, yeah. So, I, like I mentioned, we did we did one with sumac. Um, yeah, we we've done uh, 
kind of a weird take on a whipped beer uh, with coriander, orange peel, and then chamomile, which is in a lot of uh, historic whipped beer recipes. Um, we steep those in the cool ship overnight. Um, we've done juniper as well. Uh, we did a collaboration with uh, a brewery in Marquette, Michigan, Barrel and Beam. They're doing some really good mixed culture beer up there. Um, we did juniper and sumac as well and local hops in the cool ship. Yeah, we will throw the local hops, Hokong hops uh, directly in there a lot of the time. To let them steep overnight. Mm -hmm. And uh, talk to us a little bit about the wood that you have. What kinds of uh, barrels are you sourcing? Um, and you have fooders as well. Uh, how are, is this about just available wood? Or are you looking to match uh, certain certain grists with certain types of wood? Yeah, so pretty much all the barrels we have are a variety of, of wine barrels. Um, we do have a few apple brandy barrels that we, we've gotten from a distillery um, in Door County. Um, but we really like the, the wine, the wine barrels are not necessarily for um, flavor. Um, we're, we're mostly sourcing those just as a means to ferment this wild beer um, and get some oak characteristic from it. Um, but you don't typically get too much wine, actual wine character from it. Um, but we have, we, yeah, we've sourced uh, different kinds of white wine and red wine barrels, all different varieties. Um, every once in a while, we'll, we'll see a barrel broker that we know and, and uh, we'll try to source some cool, cool grape variety that, that he has. But uh, for the most part, it's just a means to, to age that beer. Um, the, fooder, the fooders, on the other hand, are were new fooders from Fooder Crafters in St. Louis. Um, so those are American oak. Uh, they were extremely oaky right off the bat, uh, I think, because all, all new fooders are. Um, but yeah, they're really tasting nice now. They were tasting nice when we, we blended a beer as well. Um, yeah, um, those are really, really cool because they're you do get more oak character than those wine barrels, um, which I, I actually really like really oaky beer. I think one of my favorite things when we were up there and we were working on that project, Alexi, was um, when I sampled the different Chardonnay barrels, you could tell some of the newer ones because you got more creaminess from the beer that was aging in it than the other ones. And it was just, it's a really cool experience to kind of taste through barrels that have had different amounts of beer aging in them because it really shows you just how much that wood can impart a flavor into a beer. Yeah, I, I remember, I think we picked, we did a fooder beer or a fooder and then I think we picked like a pretty new, new barrel and then one of our oldest, um, I think white wine barrels. So we kind of had a little bit of everything in, the, in that blend that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It was really, really tasty. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're blending, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the signature characteristics that you're, that you're looking for, um, before packaging, uh, what, in what kind of vessel are you racking the barrels back into? Yeah. So we have a couple 
stainless steel blending tanks um, in that same facility, a couple uh, plastic IBC totes as well. So we usually are racking directly into that, that stainless steel tank, one of those stainless steel tanks. Um, and then we will, you know, add it at an adjunct if we're going to do that in those stainless steel tanks as well. Um, uh, and then, yeah, package right out of those. Uh, like I said, we had that six head gravity filler, uh, very basic bottling setup that unfortunately lets oxygen in like crazy, which forms THP, but um, we can talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think we can just jump into that. A lot of producers have specific flavor ideas that they that they have when they're going to market with a product. Now, you also enjoy uh, package resting your beer uh, in a Belgian tradition for a period of time. Why did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to uh, minimize the, the formation of this compound? And what does it do for uh, in conjunction with building those signature profiles that you're seeking? Yeah, so yeah, one of the, when we launched Hacienda, actually we, Danny and uh, Kyle, our original head brewer here, um, did a small blend of a couple barrels that they had at the time um, and just force carbonated it and put it on tap for our launch and tasted it. And I was like, guys, this is pretty bad. Like, what what is, what is this flavor I'm tasting? Because I had no idea what THP was at the time. Um, and yeah, Kyle was like, that's THP. There's, you know, nothing you can do with them, do about it and let, except let your beer age out. Um, so I was like, yeah, we, we got to make sure we're, we're doing that. Cause I, I was like, hit me in the face. And like, ever since that moment, I can't like, if there's a little bit of THP in my beer, like it's affecting me in a, in a really bad way. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I tasted in, in tons of commercial beer all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it comes about um, with oxygen exposure. So there, it's I don't know exactly um, specifics. I don't think everyone knows everything about it yet. Um, but it does come about because of ex oxygen exposure in mixed culture beer. Seems to more acidic beers seem to get it uh, more frequently. Um, and over time, Britannomyces will convert it into a compound that's not per perceived by your palate. Um, so yeah, all of our beers, for the most part, if they have a little bit of acidity, they do get THP right off the bat after packaging. Um, and yeah, we just we naturally condition all those beers in the bottle and keg, um, and we just wait, wait it out. So we you know, we'll just taste it once a month uh, until that flavor to our palates is completely gone. Um, and, you know, on average, it's probably four to six months in the bottle minimum, sometimes, sometimes eight or nine months. Um, and it's unfortunate, but, you know, we're, we've made the decision that we're not going to release beer that, that has THP in it. Um, Cause I, I really can't stand it. And, I don't think it should be should be in those styles, especially if you can, you know, do something to minimize it or do something to 
uh, make it go away over time. Mm -hmm. There's definitely some value to be said for taking a patient approach to styles of beer that require patience in the first place, right? Yeah. yeah, if this was if this was an IPA or something, you know, we could buy better equipment to, you know, limit that oxygen exposure. Um, and and the beer was you know intended to be a quick turnaround. That's that's one thing, but you know, this beer has already taken a year plus to produce most of the time. So you might as well just wait it out a few more months. So as far as where you're sourcing ingredients, do you shop local or are you reaching further across the U.S. to try and find the ingredients that you're putting in your beers? What's kind of your approach when you're making beer? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we've done both. Uh, I, I like to use local ingredients whenever possible. Um, we're, we're lucky in Door County to have a ton of local fruit um, and other other ingredients readily available in the summer. Um, cherry, cherries are crazy up here. Um, uh, so we, we try to use the summer, go crazy and do a lot of fruiting. Um, but we also have um, interests like wine grapes, like we did a wine grape uh, hybrid kind of beer last year um so we do have interest that you know find ourselves outside of our local market where we can't source something here and you know we'll source it from oregon we like we we did the pinot noir grapes um we will go outside you know we'll, we'll source hops from the pacific northwest or elsewhere um but yeah i i do like you know it's Part of part of the influence of Scratch and other places that I I've visited is you know I do really enjoy when those beers are a representation of of the area you're in um, and where it was produced and who produced it. Um, there is something really special when that happens. So especially for those cool ship beers where we're really trying to highlight you know our local microflora, um, we try to use really fresh uh, local ingredients. Uh, whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, how do you feel about use of puree when it comes to uh, this particular set of, of beers that you make? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, and that, that's something that I've argued with some people about. Uh, but yeah, I like to use whole fruit. Um, local whole fruit whenever possible. I feel like we don't ever wash the fruit when we get it. Um, you know, there's microflora on the, the that fruit that will contribute something to the beer, um, help re-fermentation. Um, it's really special when you can just, you know, use a local product and highlight um, both the farmer and, you know, your your local community um, and the, the growing uh, season and you know, the microflora on that fruit. Um, you know, at times you have to use puree. Um, if you're trying to do something outside of season, um, but we try to plant it so that we do all of our fruiting in season. Um, we'll use other spices or um, do more traditional beer, uh, non adjunct beer um, outside of the season. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you have a, uh, a spontaneous beer or a blend of spontaneous beers. 
Um, are you looking to release that on its own or are you thinking of using spontaneous beer as a component to more of your mixed fermentation uh, really offerings? Yeah, so so we're definitely going to do both. Um, this first blend uh, is, is solely spontaneous. Um, kind of wanted to start it off by doing that. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely... I'm definitely interested in blending, you know, spontaneous beer into fresher, um, more lively beer. I think that's, that's part of what makes Goose so special. It's all spontaneous, but it is multiple years and ages um, to give it uh, depth. Uh, and I think you can do that same thing with, you know, fresh Saison with spontaneous beer, old spontaneous beer. You can get some really cool combinations of flavors with that. Mm-hmm. Cool. I want to f- get back to this idea of local as well when we're talking about the brand oscillation between Door County and Hacienda as well. But let's do a little like a quicker kind of overview on a couple of other clean lines with Hacienda. And one of the things that struck me about the Hacienda beers first when I tasted them at the Half Acre Far and Away event was the sort of dryness on your hazies. That was something that as a Chicagoan, we see regularly producers relying on a more under attenuated, sweeter profile. And yours are a little bit different. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that tendency and that desire? Because that dryness is something that actually carries through as a profile overall of your beers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I... I think me and, you know, past brewers that have been here um, have all kind of had the mindset that we all like sessionable beer. Um, and yes, we're, we're making these newer styles that, you know, are trend, trend sweeter. Um, but we, we're doing our best to make sessionable beer in, within the, that, those styles. Uh, and that means slightly, slightly drier. Uh, we rely on our water profile to, to try to balance that dryness, push it towards a more soft, uh, you know, maybe a profile that would more be more traditional for a stout, but, um, using in, in, in these, uh, hoppier beers. Um, and also, uh, we, we tend to use, uh, the Conan, Conan ale yeast, um, what they use in heavy topper, uh, Vermont ale yeast. Uh, most, I would say most people, especially in Chicago, uh, are using London ale three, um, kind of what Hill Farmstead and, uh, uses and, uh, tired hands uses. Um, I, I find that the Vermont ale yeast beers are a little bit brighter, uh, tend to dry out slightly more than those London Ale 3 beers. You can definitely make a dry London Ale 3 beer and a really balanced one. Like Tired Hands beers are, I would say, drier than ours, and, and they they probably perceive to be the opposite. Um, but, um, yeah, I think those two things um, contribute to that. And when we think of back to the water for a second when we think of wisconsin and illinois brewers 
if you're coastal at all, we think of Lake Michigan water. That's something that especially Chicago brewers like to talk about. But you're using well water. Is that so your water source is a little bit different, even though we can see the lake from your brewery? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, we have really hard water because of our, our well and we have a lot of limestone um, at a rock up here. Um, so yeah, we, we do, we don't like filter our, our water in any way. Um, we add, we add minerals to try to help balance that, but we, you know, we do start with, you know, this water profile that is very hard. So, um, we, we don't want to shy away from that. Um, we just try to try to, to best, um, you know, soften that as much as possible using other means. As far as your hopping rates and the uh, production of, say, take something like uh, everything eventually where you're using, you're featuring a different hop, presumably in, in the dry hop. Um, is, there, is there anything uh, exceptional about the production of those beers and the hopping schedules that helps you keep that profile, that drier profile that you're looking for? Yeah, everything eventually uh, is a good example, you know, of that because it is, it's it's a pale ale, so it's, you know, it's a sessionable, more sessionable style than um, a lot of the IPAs and couple IPAs that are are crazy popular right now. Uh, yeah, so that that beer is kind of our consider it our only flagship beer. It's usually on tap, always in cans. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty simple built, uh, malt bill with Pilsner malt, um, and a ton of, ton of actually malted oats, not, not flaked oats, um, a bit of dextrin malt too. Um, but because it's, because it's a pale ale, uh, we wanted to highlight a ton of different hop varieties in that, in that, um, more sessionable style, um, the, the main ver the regular version of everything eventually is is mostly citra with a little bit of of a zaka um, and we've messed around over time with changing you know hot side additions um, what temperature we we whirlpool hops at uh, um, the the timing of dry hops uh, the how many dry hops we do um, and then we yeah we do do a, a what we call a double dry hops uh, series of beers under the everything eventually name um, where we feature, you know, all over the place, different hops um, and uh, hop, hop the beer more heavily as well. And what's important about uh, achieving drinkability for the style, you edge that way quite a bit with your alcohol content as well. How do you go about shaping a hop profile that's going to have that addictive character that people are looking for without sweetness, which is something that we, especially in the Midwest, but I would say culturally we're attuned to sweetness as being an addictive flavor as well. So how are you doing that with your uh, hop additions? Yeah, so, um, you know, we definitely, you know, we do hot, you know, plenty of hot side additions. So you do get bitterness to balance, balance out the recipe. Uh, we're really playing around with those hops, hot, hot side additions right now. Uh, 
trying to make a less less astringent, less bite, um, smoother profile without without sweetness, but just kind of a smoother um, profile, um, mostly by playing around with our whirlpool temperatures um, specific to the variety of hops we're using. Um, so really trying to dial in hot, uh, what hop we're using and what temperature is necessary to get the whirlpool at to make sure all those um, flavor compounds you want don't don't get lost lost in that process. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's, uh, we we for that for that everything eventually recipe the regular one. You know, it's not it's not dry hopped to the extent of some beers that you know, are crazy popular um, with Uber craft beer geeks. Um, and it's a good thing. It's, it's, it keeps it, keeps it super drinkable and um, still, still with crazy good hop aroma and flavor. Let's jump into the conversation about uh, branding and visuals and what local means. You're, you're a very visual person. You are a photographer and I can tell that these decisions weigh on you quite a bit as far as what branding is and who it's relating to and how it's capturing people. And so can you kind of describe uh, where to you uh, from like an intuitional sense where Door County as a brand comes from versus Hacienda when we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to dive into it a little bit more. When I see something like Door County, personally, it looks a lot like a traditional American craft brew brand, but, uh, and this may be like localized bias as well, but as an Illinois drinker as well, we have certain things that we think about when we think about Wisconsin craft beer as well as far as touching a lot of styles, sticking with traditional styles as well. Is that something you're looking to continue to do with Door County as well? Yeah, I mean, so Door County, if we take it to the beginning, really started um, with Belgian roots. It was very focused on not not so much the mixed culture side of, of Belgian roots, but clean Belgian beer. Um, and you know they had a wit beer, um, a series of seasonal saisons, um, a bunch of uh, like a pale, a pale uh, Belgian pale ale. Um, kind of started as that, and over time it really morphed into a different brand based on what what people were drinking. You know those, those Belgian styles trying to distribute across state statewide in Wisconsin is kind of hard. Um, so, you know, it morphed into one of those more traditional Wisconsin brands that you're talking about. Um, you know, we, we try to keep that, that brand very, at least on this, on the artistic side, very relatable to Door County, um, to the outdoors here in Door County. Um, we have a single artist that does all the, all the artwork for that. Uh, those beers, um, just to really tie it back to Door County. Um, um, all the beers are named after something of Door County and have a really nice story relating to Door County. Even if the beer doesn't have to do with Door County, the you know the story reminds you of something 
you experienced in Door County. Um, Hacienda, um, I don't know, that, before I go into Hacienda, um, yeah, for Door County, uh, I, I hate, I hate kind of pigeonholing it into a traditional Wisconsin brand, but you know, there is something to that. Uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's very, you, like I said before, you know, what you're getting into with the styles. Like it's not gonna, it's not gonna shock you or surprise you in any way, which, which can be a really good thing. Um, if, if you're just looking for uh, for something that you've, you've drank. This is, we're kind of at an interesting point in the evolution of craft beer and where things are to where, and you, you probably see this in your tap room because it's a great space for you to kind of observe people's behavior and hear the, maybe not, as of this of as of this recording, but uh, you know, more often than not, you're hearing conversations there, and you're able to pick something up and get that like brew pub style feedback as far as what you're hearing. It would be a, a familiar thing to view Hacienda and Door County as very separate things. I assume there's a, a separate customer for them, maybe, but also at this point of evolution in craft beer, do you think that it's more and more actually becoming the same customer or that it's not that they're separate, but one is really a bridge into the other? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's huge overlap, you know, between those consumers. Uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's definitely, I feel like getting, getting wider. Um, there, yeah, there's a time and place for both both brands if you're if you're a single person um, the door county brand is is positioned to to more you know be a backseat to an experience um i don't know it's hard because i make hacienda beer that i want to be a backseat to experience too so it's it's definitely hard to to describe those things but for the most part i would say uh you know the door county beer is is uh, promoted or uh, positioned for tourists up here and um, people that are up here to enjoy the outdoors, to um, enjoy the county in other ways, um, to have a beverage uh, alongside those experiences, um, to go back home, you know, and relive those experiences through beer um, with a story that is on the can that relates to um, their vacation they just had. Um, but yeah, no, Hacienda on the other hand, you know, is more uh, about process. You know, it makes you think about how it was made a little bit more using weirder ingredients or different ingredients. Um, makes you analyze it a little bit more if you want to, you know, it's not always the best thing, but um, yeah, there's, you know, the same person could have both of those experiences with each brand. Um, there are some people that, you know, it's definitely one or the other is, is, is more, more appropriate, but yeah, there's definitely overlap. Um, 
and that yeah that overlap is getting bigger for sure mm -hmm. the larger narrative being pandemic has made people produce or drink beers that they're familiar with in some way and that also comes in large packaging there's a lot of different explanations for why that's existed that i think are in some ways beyond just what people's intuition are but i'm curious about a different side of this and that is nostalgia not from a brand that people have necessarily experienced like maybe stone ipa was something that you have like a, a, a specific memory of or um but it, it's more that people have an experienced memory of what door county is and what wisconsin values are in some way and that that may draw them towards something like the door county brand i think yeah i mean i think people are people are gravitating to what you know they, you know, it's harder to take a, I don't know if I'm trying to put, take my bias out of it, but, um, you know, if I was going into a, a liquor store, um, I would not want to take the risk necessarily of the new brand that I've never tried, um, that I could normally go into the tap room and try, um, a pint of, um, uh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to take those risks, um, and you you there's so much beer that's you know there that's you know you really really uh, you really know is solid, and you have experiences with those, um, and and even you know maybe you've had an experience at the tap room that you want to relive. Um, I think that plays into the to a, on the Door County side. Um, People aren't necessarily traveling here, so they're trying to relive those experiences um, in their own ways uh, through buying our beer in the market. It's it's a little weird right now. Uh, people are traveling up to, to Torque County. It's like they're going to take a little vacation. They might as well go somewhere they, they drive to. Uh, so our tap room on the weekends, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's good for, the, I guess, the business, but... I don't know. It it seems a little weird uh, seeing people in in more bigger crowds than you I'm comfortable with right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, I don't think I answered your question at all. But <laughs> no, I I mean I don't really know if there is an answer to the question because yeah. yeah. I I think that I guess what I'm looking for. Uh, I and I shouldn't be looking for an answer to a question by asking it, but. I'm looking for kind of a larger, like more clarity or maybe more confusion to this like neatly packaged question and answer that people have been talking about when it's come to the sales of their beer or of industry commentary about sales of packaged beer during the pandemic. I think that people operate in kind of weird ways and uh oftentimes memory is a very, very memory is a very important thing but memory is drawn from so many different uh sensory experiences right and so i think that the narrative has largely been uh subscribed to the idea that people are buying 
large package beers be, that they remember uh, fondly in some way. But I guess what I'm looking to think about a little more is, is it not just that beer themselves itself, but rather like an experience that the marketing or that the branding evokes that may trigger them from like a visual standpoint uh, than a flavor standpoint? No, I mean, I think that's that's exactly what, you know, we're trying to do on the Door County side um, with our distribution footprint. You know, we're trying to get people to relive those experiences. Uh, and yeah, the, the beer necessarily, you know, might be similar to another craft brewery in Wisconsin or elsewhere in the country, but, you know, the branding and the story relates you back to, you know, that experience you had in the tap room or elsewhere in Door County, even elsewhere in, in Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, on the Hacienda side, I, I feel like it's almost like, I don't know if this is true, but people are, I feel like people are trying to have those those tap room experiences by trying new beers, trying even a one-off beer, if we send it to distribution, that's what they're still, like we see that they're still wanting um, rather than like our everything eventually, which you would think that's the one they would pick up um, because they can't, you know, they can't go into a tap room and try the five new beers we have on tap. They're gonna buy it in a four pack, even if they don't know if they're, if they're gonna like it, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're relying on with the Hacienda brands in a way. You're relying on the tr like the classic craft beer curiosity and uh, gravitating towards something that's new. Um, whereas with Door County, you're looking for someone that's uh, looking for a different kind of yet still traditional experience in some way, and you're. Um, you're tying, you're making an interesting tie with Hacienda by the mix with via the mixed fermentation with your use of local ingredients and uh, time and place with your uh, uh, with the mixed cultures. So that's where it gets Hacienda hairy. may be more uh, traditional than you may think. Yeah, no, that's where it gets hairy because it's like you know the beers that tie you most to door county are probably the mixed culture beers that have a photograph of door county on the label they used all local ingredients yeah it's it gets hairy for sure well i, I mean is it hairy or is it like continuous you know yeah. like uh, i uh, i guess what i'm advocating for in a way is a reimagination of things that like don't need to have boundaries because the consumers changed Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard as a person in charge of branding both of them to keep them separated. Like mm -hmm. some days I, I wish they were just one brand and different labels because then I wouldn't care as much. But yeah, the Hacienda side and, and that, you know, the Door County side is because it's so heavily tied to a location, uh, that brand. Uh, we're really just after those consumers that, you know, are going to travel to Door County or might think about traveling to Door County. Um, 
the Hacienda side uh, is still primarily in Wisconsin. You know, we are with Heartland and in Illinois, uh, but those those drops are almost, I would almost consider them splash drops too because of how infrequent they are. Um, and yeah, we've done, you know, a few in, in New York City, Pittsburgh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, those are mainly, I would say around festivals, trying to get beer out to festivals and we're doing a, you know, a splash drop around that festival because we have people out there and we can help promote the beer uh, and just kind of help, you know, make the trip worthwhile pretty much. Uh, so those, those are less about, you know, plans to expand distribution to those areas as, um, around specific events. Um, I don't think Hacienda, at least in the near future, um, we're gonna, we're gonna try to expand the new markets. Um, uh, we're really just focusing on Wisconsin right now. Um, <clears throat> most of our, you know, we, we haven't been sending, we're sending more beer right now than we ever have into distribution. And, and it's still 99% going to, going to Wisconsin. Uh, we're trying to, you know, really promote our two tap rooms and doing that through distribution, trying to get people to visit those tap rooms by distributing to Madison and other areas in Wisconsin. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, you're still seeing quite the surge in your tap room up in Door County on the weekends. Um, were there any steps you had to take to kind of prepare for that? Or did it kind of hit you out of the blue and you had to take a step back after that first weekend and more adequately prepare? Yeah. So for, for most, I would say, you know, the whole summer, um, most of the winter so far, we, you know, we didn't allow anybody inside, um, except to order beer. So we let people in to order beer at the counter. Um, and then, um, you know, made them go outside. Uh, we, you know, we added, added fire pits and, you know, we, we turned our actual cool ship building and another building next to our tap room into reservable spaces so that, uh, people can, you know, rent them with a, you know, a four person group, a responsible group, um, that they would already have contact with and, and enjoy themselves safely away from others. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, we just recently started allowing, um, people in the tap room if there's a tables available. So we, we do have spread out tables, uh, that you can sit at if, if there's one available, if there's not one available, then we ask you to still go outside. But yeah, even, even being outside, like in 20, 10 degree weather, people are still all over it. Mm -hmm. It's good, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It speaks to the enduring popularity of the area as well too. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin people are hardy people. I mean, they don't mind drinking beer out in the cold. So yeah. And then you get some of the, some of our hardier people go up and visit yeah. too. <laughs> um, That's beautiful. The, when you see, when you see Illinois, you know, when you see people out of state that, you know, probably shouldn't be driving out of state. It's like, yeah. 
little maddening at times. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, this has been an awesome, uh, an awesome conversation here. Um, do you have any uh, kind of uh, parting thoughts here? <laughs> Uh, I don't, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great to catch up. Uh, be great once this is over to catch up again and get you guys back up to Door County. Definitely. Um, Would love that. Would love a uh, personal keg of, uh, <laughs> this is not a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we could arrange sending one to Milwaukee for you maybe. Yeah. Oh man. That, that'd be dangerous <laughs> whenever I start drinking again. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, Matt, and um, best of luck. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, mm -hmm. take care.